Hello, Internet friends, and welcome to Love-Hate Relationship. And you can't see it because it's a word, but I'm underlining hate this week. Uh, an opinionated podcast for opinionated people. I'm Andy Bowell. And I'm Alex Ruiz, and as Andy just alluded to, we're normally here to brighten your day, anger your soul, and tell you how to live your lives in that order, but this time, we're just kind of looking to anger your soul, because this is an episode ending in a number five, our third such, and therefore it's time to triple this shit up. And for the first time in love-hate relationship history, we're bringing you a triple hate special. And I'm very excited about it i'm trying I, I i was trying to decide should i be optimistic should i be should i should i bring some some positive energy to railing on scientology today or should i should i be be dour and brooding and and that's not me so no i'm i'm hype as hell to talk about why this fake religion sucks no, you're, you're the fine and shiny one. I'm typically, you know, the hulking rage monster, <laughs> the Professor Hulk of it all. But I always feel the need to come back to and, like, recenter myself when we get into, like, really dark hates of reminding myself that, you know, the, the whole point of the hate section is never, on any of our episodes, it's never to be like, oh, we just fucking hate this thing and, you know, it's the worst thing ever and... Raw cynicism. I, I I try not to be a cynic. Like, I really don't. I try not to be hopeless. I, I, I try and approach the hate section as like a, this is something that is terrible in the world, and we want to address it, maybe educate, maybe open eyes. Yes, it pisses us off. Yes, it depresses us sometimes. God, we've had some depressing hate segments, but like, <laughs> but I think... It's not about positive or negative energy to me. It's about, we hate this thing. Let's know about our hate. Let's be educated in our hate. Let us hate consciously and and with open eyes and hate very productively. And I don't know necessarily how productive we'll be talking about Scientology. I have been texting with Andy, dear listeners, for the last two days about how my eyes are bleeding from all of the research I've been doing. Because holy shit, the research on this is depressing and dark and weird and kind of like black comedy funny at times. But yeah, I'm excited. I'm like, I'm ready to put on put on my hate face, try and find a productive through line of this. It's, at the very least, we hope that you all, me included, will walk away from this I don't know, knowing a little bit more, at least, having your opinion informed. What am I getting at, Andrew? I think you're hitting the nail on the head, man. This is this is not um, something we're going to fix today. We don't always... Some, I mean, sometimes we offer at least a, a positive, uplifting solution, and sometimes it's just more about making sure the people know. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff about Scientology and its founders and its primary members that I didn't know that is really upsetting. And if we can help you learn something about this unambiguously negative thing, then we're doing our jobs. You know, I think about, and and this is probably a good way to get us started and get us into it. There's no douchebag buffer this time. I think about how Scientology is a 
pretty low-hanging fruit for mockery and criticism. You know, South mm-hmm. Park has done a couple episodes on them. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I saw it as nothing more than, oh, it's it's a complete joke. Oh, it's something a bunch of crazy celebrities do. Oh, it's this complete mockery of what organized religion is oh ha 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 i've flipped off the guy in front of the church of scientology in new york i've given him a huge rationing of shit for walking up to me and trying to like start a conversation i've watched that south park episode numerous times and it is important to understand satire and mockery can sometimes put kid gloves on an actual issue. And so what we're going to do today is take off the kid gloves. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. I think, do you remember in like the, I want to say it was like the mid 2000s, early 2000s, uh, do you remember the Kabbalah fad? I do indeed. I remember yeah, yeah. Cher specifically, like, pioneering it. I remember Madonna being very big into it. And it was and it was honestly this thing where, like, I'd be watching, like, fucking VH1 or something, and they would be, you know, cracking jokes on Best Week Ever or some other, some other VH1 show about how... You know, this celebrity or this celebrity is wearing the red string bracelet or something and it's and it's Kabbalah inspired. And and that was a fairly harmless fad. Kabbalah actually is a, you know, a tradition with some history to it, Um, a lot of deep meaning. I don't want to assume anything about the people who very famously were, I don't know, embodying it at the time. Because ultimately, A, they didn't really do much harm other than kind of making what is a real, like, legitimate religious practice into kind of a joke in mainstream consciousness, which, you know, mainstream consciousness is as responsible for that as the individuals. But also, it didn't hurt anybody. It didn't do anything to anybody, really. I mean, wasn't the secret, like, that book, wasn't that sort of like the hand guide to Kabbalah or am I thinking of a completely other celebrity backed like pseudo philosophy thing you know I don't know enough about the secret to say for sure but I think that you're just kind of conflating two things of the same time uh, that were kind of going on concurrently and maybe got conflated I don't know for sure though I don't know enough about the secret I someone explained the secret to me and I was like huh that sounds dumb Moving on. <laughs> Which, you know, maybe that's dismissive. Maybe there's something to the secret. Again, I don't know anything about it. It doesn't interest me. I, I, I do a different thing. And again, if you're not hurting anybody, I ain't mad at you. You know, like, I'm on Twitter a lot, and the Church of Satan is a really great follow. But if you're familiar with the history of the Church of Satan, I'm talking Anton LaVey founded Satanism, it's basically just like hyper-libertarian anarcho-atheism, basically. Like, there's... What, what what people think of when they think Satanist is 
really just like Christian stereotypes of paganism and Wiccanism, which aren't even really that accurate. But And there was a time when people inspired by the Church of Satan, specifically a weird subset of black metal Scandinavian musicians, decided that they were going to like kill a bunch of people and burn down some churches. And that was some bullshit. I don't really blame the Church of Satan for that because generally speaking, the Church of Satan is kind of like, yeah, maybe don't burn churches. Let's just, like, not believe in the stuff. And the Church of Satan is fine with that. Like, the whole church burning thing was people taking it too far. With Scientology, it's not a question of anyone taking things too far. It's the issues of what is in the text of the religion, and then what, and then those texts being executed to their not even logical conclusions, logical progressions, which are really fucked up. Yeah, absolutely. So the way we kind of cut up our notes for this episode is I put a lot of my time and attention into L. Ron Hubbard, uh, founder of the Church of Scientology, his background, his history, uh, and kind of the early uh, beginnings of the Church of Scientology. Uh, and Andy, you kind of put your attention more on the sort of more modern day side of things. That's right. You know, I, I looked into a lot of the modern practices of the church and also the current head of the church, David Miscavige. Yeah. So I don't think this episode will be terribly uneven because we both, I think, well, for one thing, we both read each other's notes. For the other, I think we've both boned up enough on this material that we have a have enough of a conception to kind of interchange and interplay, but this will be a little me heavy on the front and a little you heavy on the end. And let's be honest, if it's you heavy, that probably means it's about (laughs) equal with us because I interrupt you a lot. Um, (laughs) Very sorry. I love you, my friend. Um, (laughs) We're going chronologically and I have no problem with that. Okay. That works. So um, to get started, you can't really talk about Scientology without talking about Lafayette. I'm taking this horse by the reins, making red coats, weather with blood stains. Ron Hubbard, who, uh... I didn't know that's what the L was, and <laughs> that's so unfortunate, because I have to put a Hamilton drop in there. Uh, <laughs> taking this horse by the reins, making red coats, weather with blood stains. So, short info, Lafayette Ronald Hubbard was born in March of 1911, one month and one day prior to the sinking of the Titanic, if, if you care about that thing. 1911 was the Titanic, or was that 1912? I want to say 12, Whatever. but I have literally nothing in front of me or in my head to back that up. Okay, if it's 1912, he was born a year and a month prior to the sinking of the Titanic. I was literally just looking at my things, and I'm like, 1911, okay. That's, 1912, that's... we're right. You are technically correct. The best kind of correct. Ah, fuck me. Okay. Anyway, L. Ron Hubbard, best known uh, a little bit as... I hate giving him credit for this because in... in I'll get a little bit into his writing career, but he kind of probably doesn't deserve some of the credit he has for being a science fiction author. But in fairness, he kind of is of the canon of a very particular period of time in science fiction but um he's kind of known as a science fiction author and then as the founder of scientology so uh i'm gonna tell you this andy just because i found it really really amusing if you look on the scientology website uh it 
make some claims about L. Ron Hubbard, some of which were things that he said, uh, and when I say said, I mean lied about, uh, and some of them are things that they made up whole cloth, and some of them have little kernels of truth. One such thing, which I think you'll find interesting, is that the Church of Scientology claims that L. Ron Hubbard uh, was the youngest Eagle Scout in history, having attained the rank at age 13. How old were you when you were an Eagle Scout, Andy? Or became an Eagle Scout? I became an Eagle Scout at like 17 and a half. So, yeah. like, it's... I don't... It's... It's like a whole thing. If for no other reason than, like, going through monthly meetings, like... I, I, I don't know. That's that's not very prevalent. But, like, you say that, and it, it as an Eagle Scout, it annoyed me because the man does not... Uh, I don't want to be associated with him in any possible way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, funny enough, him being an Eagle Scout at 13 is one of the things that is actually true. He did attain the rank of Eagle Scout at 13. However, whether or not he was the youngest to ever attain such a rank is uh questionable i'm because he he may have been at the time and without i i can't find anything saying it one way or the other it i do find it somewhat likely that he was at the time however i'm very pleased to announce that that is no longer his record to have because five years ago some kid in california named kaylin auerbacher became the youngest Eagle Scout at the age of 11. I was 11 when I joined the Boy Scouts, so I have no idea how the hell this kid did it, but I'm happy he could take the mantle. Sure, yeah, but um, the biggest reason is because apparently that wasn't something the Eagle Scouts really kept track of at the time, so it's entirely possible, even probable, that there were many Eagle Scouts who hit that rank at that age or younger, and there's nothing particularly special about him, but that's a claim on the Scientology website. Sure. So, throwing that out there. Uh, I'm trying to find the best way to kind of run down the history of L. Ron Hubbard, uh, because the focus here is not L. Ron Hubbard himself. The focus really is the Church of Scientology. However, it is, I feel, a disservice to how batshit insane this man's life was and the, the way that he founded this church I feel, to not run down some of these details. So, Andy, if you'll indulge me. Always. I'm going to run down, I'm going to very quickly run down my bullet points on the life of L. Ron Hubbard. And I have to emphasize this. Yes, I'm going to read this quickly. I also cut stuff out. There are many things that I left out of this story. Because I'm trying to keep this pertinent to what we're talking about. And also just like the broadest strokes. So with that in mind, the life of L. Ron Hubbard specifically told using the lies that he himself told others. That as a child, he roamed an older relative's land, befriending an old Blackfoot Indian shaman who made him a, quote, blood brother. In actuality, no such thing exists in the Blackfoot tribe, and his relatives state that he spent his childhood as an affectionate, coddled youngest child of the clan uh, of a comfortable, middle-class home. However, he would tell this Blackfoot Indian story for his entire life, and it is still on the Scientology website. 
that during a family trip to China when he was a teenager, he was instructed in the mystical arts by descendants of the tribe of Kublai Khan. He actually did go on this trip, but according to his notes in his journal, uh, he spent it bored and miserable, writing outlines for crappy short stories with bad sex scenes and making notes about the dirtiness of Chinese people and how the Great Wall would be great if they could convert it into a roller coaster. But as a student at George Washington University, he attended the first nuclear physics class ever taught in the U.S., edited the school newspaper, and led a jungle expedition wherein he and his colleagues got laid a whole lot by random native women of color and huh. discovered artifacts, not <laughs> shitting you on that, uh, and that they discovered artifacts that they donated to the University of Michigan. Such a class never actually existed. He was a lousy, lousy student who barely went to class and eventually dropped out. He did write a few articles for the newspaper, mostly about the sport of gliding, which none of us have ever heard of, uh, and a sport in which he lost his license to pilot a glide craft after his first year there because he couldn't afford to renew it. And the whole expedition thing was an elaborate con that he sold by lying and saying it was subsidized by the New York Times. Most of the crew people who signed on to this voyage jumped ship by the second port, and UM has no records of any donations from Hubbard. He claimed to have written a book of philosophy titled Excalibur, which was never released to the public because apparently every person who read it was so affected they committed suicide. He actually told a story where he said that he gave it to a publisher who read it, and days later, called him into his office, and in front of Hubbard, jumped out of a window. Because that's how affected he was by Excalibur. He claimed that he served in World War II, and that he had seen combat in five theaters, received 22 medals, and suffered multiple injuries in battle. Actually, he was sent back to the military academy after his first assignment's commanding officers found him annoying, boisterous, and inept. And there he lied his way into the command of a ship where he fired over 100 depth charges in two days at what he claims were two Japanese subs, but was actually a large piece of magnetic iron ore. He then bombed the shit out of an unoccupied Mexican island. He was then stripped of his command after the Mexican government said, Hey, we're allies. Why are you bombing our islands, America? He then spent most of the rest of the war in the hospital for an ulcer and afterward lied to the VA about his injuries to get more disability benefits. I'm done for. I've got a gammy leg and I'm going fast. I'll never get through. But some of you might. So you'd better eat me. Following a, I, I, I'm almost okay. done. Okay, I know. I well, okay, okay. No, please continue, okay. continue. No, no, hit me, hit me. Well, I, I, just, I need to. I, I feel like we, we, we got to take a second here. Like, there is so much bullshit. I'm, I'm reminded of when you gave me a, a listing of the war crimes of Steve King. I just, it's fascinating to me how much you can just get away with if you lie hard enough. Yeah. A lot of, most of this information actually uh, comes from a fantastic three-part episode from uh, How Stuff Works is uh, Behind the Bastard. It's a wonderful podcast. And they did a three-parter all about the life of L. Ron Hubbard. One of my favorite stories that I, that I didn't mention here uh, was that apparently while he was hanging out with just like some friends, 
after the war, but kind of before he was, you know, making it as a writer, he was telling so many, these huge bullshit stories about all the stuff he was doing, about his time in war, and about the years that he had spent pioneering or, or um, prospecting for gold in the jungle and exploring and adventuring and doing all this stuff. And one of his friends literally just went, he's in his 20s, mind you, and he's like, one of his friends goes, Ron, you're 84 years old. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he goes... So I've been writing down all your stories. You say you spent seven years here, and you spent three years doing this, and four years doing this, and you spent another six years doing this, and another two years doing this, and I calculated it all up, and it says here that you're 84 years old. So, like, people knew he was a bullshitter, but I guess, by all accounts, he was so charming and fun that people just kind of didn't care, except for his military commanders, who cared a lot. <laughs> right, but as they should. He's, but he still bullshitted his way into a command position. I'm reminded of a former friend of the both of ours, <laughs> and you, you, you'll you know very quickly who I'm talking Shut about. Shut the fuck up, Andrew. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, uh... I'm reminded of a friend who lived up the street from me and would regularly tell me about how he created a band and they made it all the way to Anaheim. And the lead guitarist of Flyleaf used to go to Timber Creek and like gave this guy guitar lessons and thought he was really great. And, oh, yeah, my uncle is a developer for Kojima and I'm going to be working on the next Resident Evil game. And this uh, this former friend of ours is now like a warehouse worker who sells weed on the side and balding balding and and unhappy yeah. and it's it's just fascinating to me these like these people exist these people are it's not like elron had something different about him he was just a boasting pathological liar and was able to get a bunch of people to suck up his bullshit but Anyway, I, I I wanted to I wanted to take a moment. I, I here's what I want. Here's here's what I I dearly wish to have in existence. I want a series of Mad Magazine styled cartoons of each of these anecdotes, and I want to read them. And then I want to like on the on the backside have it be what actually transpired as sort of a a bad spot the difference comic. I, I feel like that would be very enjoyable to me. <laughs> I'd enjoy that. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And you know what? You, you have a point. Like, I think we've all known, everyone, all of you listening, like, if I tell you a phrase like bullshit artist or pathological liar, you have an image in your head. And your image in your head might be someone fictional. If you think a little bit harder in that case, you probably have someone in your life or of your history who was like that, even if it was a kid on the playground. And it's amazing how much people could get up, get away with yeah. if they were white dudes and there's no internet. It's amazing how much they can get away with even if they're white dudes with internet. But the amount they can get away with if there's white dudes and no internet is astounding. This is what we feared. The pale face is a demon. The only thing they feel at all is greed. As a white dude, but, I feel like I can't speak here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, by all accounts, L. Ron Hubbard was a very charming guy. Like, seriously, he... People wrote about just, like, 
hanging out with him. And he could always dominate a conversation. He always had things to say. The next thing I was going to talk about was his writing. Sure. And, and this was the era of the Pulp Fiction novel. Like the, and, and it was all about quantity, not quality. It was, we need to pump out a whole shitload of stories. We need them fast. We need them cheap. We need them to have these... We need them loaded with, like, sex and violence and racism and all of this. And, you know, some people took that. Um, you know, Isaac Asimov took that and crafted seminal works of science fiction that are still important to the tradition today. Uh, and then you got people like L. Ron Hubbard, who his one true talent in this realm was not quality was not character it was his it was sheer proliferation he was able to churn out by some accounts as much as 20,000 words a day literally he's just holding himself up with cigarettes and booze and uppers and just writing and it was to the point where publisher like and he would basically just like write stuff up he probably didn't read it over didn't really edit it. He probably just finished it, sealed it up, sent it to a publisher, let it get published. And it was to the point where there were publishers who started just drawing up artwork for the covers of books, sending delivery boys to like his hotel room or his apartment, handing him the cover, and then the delivery boy just waits outside for a few hours while he pumps out a story and then just takes it back to the publisher. He's just writing whole stories based on a fucking cover. Like, that is what he can contribute to this market and this genre. And it works for him okay. He ends up making a pretty decent name for himself as a science fiction writer. Do we know um, how many people committed suicide after reading one of his Pulp Fiction stories? I feel like we should Uh, have that on record. So it's not his stories. It's this philosophy book. No, I know, I know, I know. But by all those accounts, he lists at least, you know, at least half a dozen, I think, I, by all uh, accounts. I, I've gone to the Googles and uh, just type in L. Ron Hubbard fiction and just looking at an image search like, yeah, I can. This this is this is definitely an era. This is this is Buck Rogers. This is. This is absolutely five cent or no fifteen cent. It's it's on the cover here. Stories and and you know you, you got to give credit where it's due. The ability to just pump out content like that is indeed impressive. And to look at an image and go, yeah, I can give you three thousand words on that. Sure, that's a talent for sure. Yeah, he also wrote under pseudonyms sometimes. Uh, my favorite is uh, he wrote on uh, some of the stories are published under the name. Remington Winchester Cult, which are three gun brands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was L. Ron Hubbard. The part with it, and, and you know what? If he'd spent his entire career as a bullshit artist who pumped out crappy science fiction novels and just did that his whole life, fine. You know, Edgar Rice Burroughs was a racist, and Arthur Conan Doyle believed in fairies. And I think phrenology and like all these people, you know, there's there's cookie shit around all of them. And we would have let Elon Hubbard be fine. But what ultimately happened was he published a book called Dianetics. 
which was his sort of self-help guru manual uh, explaining his method for, and those of you who are somewhat familiar with uh, Scientology materials these days, his method of, quote, going clear and curing all mental and physical ailments by sorting through traumatic memories uh, through the process of an auditing session to attain things like perfect recall and total logical control of the body. Yeah, right there. Yeah, continue, and then I'm going to get into my thought. <laughs> um, this ultimately resulted in a giant movement, you know? He was he was billing this as, like, it was self-help. It wasn't a religion yet. This was purely just, like, I have to emphasize this. Dianetics as a concept was, and it was reviewed as such at the time, it was a just, like, shitty ripoff of psychotherapy. Like... People would go to auditing sessions guided by people who were trained in Dianetics and reported, you know, feeling so much better, having a lot, having their depression lessened and, you know, feeling less of their anger issues. You know, the way you do when you sit with someone and talk about your feelings for an hour. The way you do in therapy. But it's the fucking 50s, so everybody's like... I don't do therapy. Therapy sucks. I don't talk about my feelings. This is all bullshit. So really, it's just like it's a whole bunch of correlation. It's correlative. Sure. It worked for a lot of people. And that's how we got these followers. He ended up making a ton of money off of resulting clinics and auditing centers and, and all of this shit. And not long after, because of his financial fuckery, and I'm not going to go into the details about the financial fuckery, but basically... L. Ron Hubbard is amassing this giant empire based on Dianetics and being this self-help guru. And it kind of comes crashing down, partially because the IRS comes knocking, partially because of severe financial mismanagement. And he gets serious. It's, it's seriously threatened that he'll lose the rights to Dianetics and all of this material uh, to his financier, Don Purcell, who was a just basically a rich follower of hers who bankrolled him and... Uh, kind of just protected him in a lot of these ways, uh, and it was all coming to a head. So L. Ron Hubbard took a lot of the concepts of Dianetics and began Scientology, which he billed as a science, not a religion. But the, I mean, the real purpose was uh, it, it would protect Hubbard's rights to Dianetics material, uh, which he was getting ready to lose, uh, and it was it was a quote-unquote science. And again, this is the era of science fiction. This is the era where people are taking the works of science fiction writers, they're inspired by this, and they're coming up with new technologies. It wasn't beyond the pale to imagine a science fiction writer might come up with a new science. We were kind of in this place. And so he was kind of primed for this moment. That said... Um, he, at his last appearance as a science fiction writer, which was at a conference or a convention in Newark, kind of like a proto-Comic-Con of sorts, prior to the publication of Dianetics, but still, he said something to the crowd there that got taken down and published in a local newspaper. He, he said, quote, writing for a penny a day is ridiculous. If you really want to make a million dollars, start a religion. Another quote that he wrote in a letter in April of 1953, similar time frame, this was after the publication of Dianetics, and as he was kind of working on Scientology, he wrote to a supporter who he was kind of working with, I await your reaction on the religion angle. In my opinion, we couldn't get worse public opinion than we have had or have less customers with what we've got to sell. 
a religious charter would be necessary in Pennsylvania or New Jersey to make it stick, but I sure could make it stick. To the words of a con man. How that isn't the end of it, and how that's just not the fucking flag you stick, and any logical person sees that he says that in the moments, relative moments, before starting Scientology is is truly beyond me you know we've it's it's like i started we we've spent much of the time so far poking fun at this crazy science fiction writer you know i've i've tried to make a few jokes out of it but like this is where it 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 legitimately boils my blood and pisses me off the the idea of Think about all your traumas from a childhood and we'll cure your polio is irresponsible in the kindest way of looking at it and and downright psychologically abusive in in my opinion. And for this guy to be sitting here like this isn't even Mormonism, which is the other, you know, the other low hanging fruit for for satire joseph smith was called a prophet dum, 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 dum. this isn't somebody sitting here saying god talk to me i know i know it's 1853 but but i i found these plates god showed me these plates i can't show them to you you're gonna have to go on faith that's kind of the point this isn't even that this is a dude saying out loud i've got an idea that'll make me a shit ton of money and then doing that idea and making a shit ton of money <sighs> continue <Yeah. laughs> no I, and and i no. and i'm and i'm wrapping up this bit on on L. Ron hubbard's life but just to kind of set you up i'm gonna say so we're at the point where Scientology is basically, he's billing it as a science. In reality, it's a financial scheme to protect his intellectual property. He's billing it as a science. All of the stuff that we associate with Scientology now, beyond the auditing sessions and the going clear stuff and the curing diseases, all of that was kind of developed over the coming years very gradually. It started largely as combining the Dianetics pop psychology methods uh, with kind of lofty statements about quote-unquote thetans, which functioned essentially as physical manifestations of the soul. He was saying, souls really exist. We have physically proven scientifically that souls exist. I'm not going to posit whether or not souls exist, Andrew. I, I don't believe in souls. I'm not mad at people who do. I am mad at anyone who says, I have, a, I have physical documentatable proof that souls exist. They're called thetans. Uh, as he ran the... <laughs> this is what L. Ron Hubbard did. As he ran the religion, first from offices in New Jersey, California, and Clearwater, Florida, uh, where that giant fucking Scientology building still is in Clearwater. Oh, yeah. um, and then eventually from three boats on international waters, which is its whole story, uh, he further developed things like the space opera, which is the Xenu crap. And, and, and I'm sure we'll get into all of that, but basically, you know, trillions of years ago, there was an alien warlord who took over the galaxy and killed a bunch of people and their souls got into the earth and 
their souls turned into thetans, which were in the earth, and now they're in us, and they're causing our misery, and blah 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 blah. He basically came up with all of this stuff as he was going along, and it just kind of got codified into the foundations and structures of the church. Uh, throughout the rest of the, his life, he would take to treating his followers, basically like indentured service, servants, himself like a commodore at sea and on land. He would throw people who displeased him overboard, communicated largely through a cadre of teenage girl messengers who carried out his orders, grew intensely paranoid and also rich as fuck, dying with a net worth of approximately $600 million that we know about. And... Again, this is me cutting down the life of Elrond. Right. I'll, I'll, I'll link to the Behind the Bastards episode. I highly recommend it. I highly recommend reading up on this guy. Just like, I didn't mention the satanic sex cult that he joined basically to get laid. That's a whole thing here. And it's not the most interesting part. Him kidnapping a baby is not the most interesting part of all of this. The, the, the amount of shit in this human's life and I'm only scratching the surface here, but I want you all to understand. First of all, I want you to understand my pain over the last couple of days. Uh, <laughs> but secondly, I want you to understand where this kind of thing starts. This is, a, this is the great con. This is the great graft. You mentioned Mormonism a moment ago. I, I don't want to disrespect Mormonism, generally. And the reason I don't want to disrespect Mormonism is because... I've met a lot of wonderful Mormons, and I'm generally speaking not mad at them. I'm no more angry at the Mormon church than I am at the Catholic church. Because for all the problematic things the Mormons have done, the Catholics have done that too. Sure. So have the Baptists. You know, you were just talking about this whole audit yourself and you'll be cured from illness thing in Scientology. Well, what the fuck is laying on hands and speaking in tongues and... All of that bullshit. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I was on Twitter, like, just before we started recording, and someone posted up a video of a dude who was, like, screaming that if in screaming from a pulpit that he believed that this infertile woman who had come to him praying that God would give her a baby, he was like, don't go to doctors, don't worry about this, the Lord will provide for you, and you will have a child, and I don't know this woman's situation, but the fact of the matter is, if there is a preacher telling you, you will have a child, God will give you a child, and then you don't have a child, because biology, I blame that guy. Yeah. I blame the people who lay hands, I blame this shit, and for Scientology to do it, but with the recency of Mormonism, there's a little piece of me that's a little impressed at the con, I'm not gonna lie, but it is such an obvious con. So this is what we're coming from, a lifelong con man whose only gift, whether it was in his science fiction or in his later time as a religious leader, his only gift was his propensity to bullshit and charm and con incessantly without qualm and without problem, without pause, this is where we start this discussion of Scientology 40 minutes into the podcast. <laughs> uh, and here I'm going to like open it a little bit more over to you, but that's, that's my major contribution to this discussion, uh, with the, accepting the interruptions that I'm about to give to Andy. But I do encourage all of you to look up L. Ron Hubbard, because holy shit, you guys. 
Ugh, my eyes are bleeding. My friend? So the briefest of sidebars, uh, I, I'm, I'm a camera operator. It's it's the thing I do for money. You don't care if it's wrong or if it's right. Roxanne. And as such, I've, <laughs> I've, uh, I've worked for a couple of different churches. And there's one in particular that live streams its, uh, its congregations. And this is not the church that I go to. This is not the church that I subscribe to. And they don't like list out any particular denomination, but they are very, very, very big on the laying of hands and, and, and letting, letting go and, and praising in your own way and healing in your own way. And to be sitting there with a camera on your shoulder as like deacons, whack little old ladies as hard as they can on the forehead and having people like bracing behind the little old ladies to catch them when they immediately fall is very uh upsetting <laughs> that's all i'll say i'm about just saying that. you know if the little old ladies just believed a little bit harder they could totally have the carol danvers moment where they get whacked whacked in the head and they barely flinch and then fly off into space <laughs> that's what jesus gives people right flying off into space I digress that's very that's right i i apologize to the christians out there i don't actually have much beef with you i have beef with other stuff i'm sorry i apologize uh so move moving into into my actual portion here and talking about the church of scientology which as we've established has existed for less than 60 years as a entity at the at the top of everything i'd like to give the shout out to the thing that really opened my eyes and and taught me a lot about this and that is the leah remini a and e produced docuseries scientology and the aftermath which clued me into a, a lot of what i'm going to talk about and you know i did further research to back it up and before anyone else can say this, I know that a few episodes ago we were talking to Ben about the Michael Jackson Leaving Neverland documentary. And I talked about how documentaries in and of themselves should not be purely admissible evidence to the things that they are espousing. And and I do believe that. I want to clarify that after watching the show, I feel like there there is enough tangible things and there is more than just testimony and lines being drawn to assert the claims I'm going to make. You know, I, I didn't put this in the notes, but, you know, I told my wife that we were going to be talking about Scientology and she got somewhat uncomfortable that we're, you know, our our piddly ass podcast is taking a shot at an entity which is capable of doing some diabolical shit to its enemies i think it's important to take the shot i'm not uh i'm not at all afraid to take the shot but all that said it's on hulu scientology in the aftermath i usually find leah remini somewhat unpleasant of a person but she's she's fine <laughs> in in the show <laughs> and as i said it, it it goes into a lot of what i'm going to talk about in a lot more depth here okay. are some fun facts about modern day Scientology that are completely banana bonkers and evil. You know, we talked about 
not liking things that hurt people and not having a problem with something that's stupid but doesn't necessarily hurt people. Here's how the Church of Scientology hurts people. First and foremost, if you are a member of the Church of Scientology, you have to buy your way in. And it's not a one-time payment. Part of the religion literally includes studying every last thing L. Ron Hubbard wrote. Every book, every manuscript, every last Dianetics manual. The church oh sells these in installments. <laughs> and between books, required testing that you have to take, mandatory donations that you are ostracized if you don't make, second copies of the books because oh it turns out this subsection four of the dianetics book uh we've determined that that was inaccurate so now you have to buy the book again oh and also you have to pay for the test again between all of these funds over the course of every single scientologist's life they will give a minimum of twenty five thousand dollars to the church this is true whether you are Tom Cruise or whether you are a garbage man living in L.A. who decided that this was the religion for you. Hmm. I mean, if you're a garbage man living in L.A., I mean, you're probably making <laughs> you're, you're probably making it. But <laughs> the, the, the point the point is that it is it is mandatory. You cannot be a part of the church if you do not buy the books and you buy the books so that you can buy the tests that you have to take. And, and legitimately, like, there are instances where you take a test and then three years later they go, oh, by the way, the test isn't, like, real anymore. We need you to take the test again. It's, 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 these people make money hand over fist. And, and it just gets to the point where I don't understand how you have that much money to give if you're the common layman, you know. But, I mean, clearly people find a way. Yeah. It's cheaper than college. Eh, I suppose that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to our student loan debt episode, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? Yeah, I wish I had a minimum of $25,000 that I had to pay off. Uh, so they make all this money. And this this hurts. This kills the man. This, this hurts the person who pays the money. Because they're at $25,000 that could be used for literally anything. That's my through line there. The church makes all this money and just like any other organized criminal organization because that's what it is, they then have Hello. to launder the money. This is often done by buying land and building churches across the country to show how prosperous and growing the religion is and to make it seem like they have their fingers in anywhere coming to a town near you in actuality while these buildings often look nice and grand from the outside there are no congregations there are no influxes of people coming into the weekly meetings these churches are run by a skeleton crew and are basically just a way to kind of move the money around and make it clean you know fun fact there is the orlando church of scientology it's on obt for those of you who don't understand the significance of that sentence obt is maybe the second poorest part of the greater orlando area it is it is the oldest crappiest like like obt's where you go for the sex shops and the hookers and you don't go there if you can avoid it otherwise. 
Yeah, there's a there's a very old, very problematic, we will say very problematic running joke that I think we grew up with or I I grew up in Orlando. I know you didn't, but you know, it was always uh Orange Blossom Trail. I mean, that's where you go for your hookers and your crack. Like it wasn't I don't endorse the joke, but the joke was there. So I, I yeah, just I only bring it up to, to show the contents of like you, you hear that Orlando has a church of Scientology. And even if you like look it up on Google, it looks like a, a perfectly fine churchy building. But if you're not familiar with the area and you don't realize that OBT is the, the, the wrong side of the tracks, and, and they do this all over the place, you know, the the churches in New York and the churches in Hollywood and like a couple other ones are like the major hubs. And that's where the majority of the actual Scientology members operate. But for the most part, they try to make it seem like they're spreading themselves around the country. And it's it, it's not even a shell corporation. It's just a, a, a money making tactic. Sure. The other thing the church has built with all of its money is uh, mm. they've basically created their own small town. And this is the Gold Base, which is located in Riverside County, California. It is outside of the city limits of whatever that city is, because that was the only way they could afford to like make the town their own. So literally, it's it's just like in the county off on its own. And the gold base is a private compound, heavily guarded and surrounded by barbed wire walls. Just like the Vatican. You know, I mean, I don't I don't know if they have gendarmes at the gold base, but... Uh, I'm giving the Vatican shit. Uh, please continue. No, I, I know. <laughs> you, you hear that and maybe you don't know a lot about Scientology and you go, oh, oh my goodness, wow, what, what, what do they need to protect themselves from that they have such drastic security measures and the church doesn't need to protect itself from anything the guards and the barbed wire walls they aren't to keep things out they're to keep people in you know within the walls the church has total control over the lives of the people in gold base to the point where there is a straight up prison and I, I use that with air quotes. It's in actuality an empty warehouse known as the hole where political enemies of the church who are within the church and basically anybody that current church leader David Miscavige is unhappy with for any reason are held. And just a couple of things that happen to you if you're in the hole is you have to clean up shit with your bare hands you have to sleep literally like with with zero room to yourself. They, they cram as many people as they can into the hole, lock them in there, feed them gruel, and then you are forced, is the word I will use, to confess your sins, which the guards know, but you don't, and to turn on your fellow inmates to make them confess their sin. So it's 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 this one big psychological torture chamber, really. And people have been held in there for up to like three years at a time. And it's just, I don't know. I, I don't know of anyone else who 
is running around and throwing members of their own organization into prison conditions. Um, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't uh, David Miscavige's wife supposedly in there? I... I feel like I read oh, that somewhere. Okay, you know what? I completely forgot about this, but this is touched on in the documentary. It's not necessarily that David Miscavige's wife is in the hole. It's that nobody's seen her for like 15 years. Like, as far as we know, she's locked in her apartment and, you know, kept under heavy guard at all times and basically, you know, under a uh, imposed house arrest. Sure. Why? Holy shit. We don't know. But this is a perfect enough segue to get into David Miscavige. Okay. So, as, as I've said a couple times now, he is the current head of the Church of Scientology. He is also the CEO of the Religious Technology Center, which will be important. And here's how I'd like to clarify it. If L. Ron Hubbard was Moses, David Miscavige is Jesus Christ in the eyes of the Church of Scientology. But he behaves as if Jesus Christ and Kim Jong-il had a ginger love child. I mean, okay. <laughs> we've we've gotten into a couple of the things, such as the hole and, and the compound. And, you know, I, I just draw allusions to North Korea because that's the only, that's the first place, I won't say only place, that comes to mind with these sort of practices and behavior. Here's why I call okay. David Miscavige Scientology's Jesus Christ. He joined up with the church. Technically, his father joined the church and, you know, brought the rest of the family in. But around the age of 12 or 11, Miscavige became this, this child prodigy, wunderkind, in the religion and in the processing of auditing Dianetics, which is its whole thing. I think if you don't know what it is, finding the South Park episode about Scientology, Tom Cruise is trapped in the closet, uh, actually does a pretty great job of explaining what Dianetics auditing is. You know, it's, it's, it's wumbo jumbo. Here's how much a uh, magic soul is inside of you. You're assigned a score. It's it's a whole thing. Yeah, the, the short version is you hold on to these little electrode things on a device called an e-meter that emits a small electric pulse. Supposedly, the e-meter the e-meter reads you know your thetan level. I talked about thetans a moment ago. And during an auditing session, you tell an auditor your various traumatic memories associated with like bad things that have happened to you or bad things that you've done and supposedly the session the auditor the e-reader help you sort through the memories and you know adjust your thetan level and you get closer to sorting all of this through and you know closer to going clear that's like right. a short explanation so miscavige at the age of 12 was just the best at this he became the first child Dianetics auditor and soared through the ranks of the Church of Scientology and its militant branch, the Sea Organization. The Sea Organization is, is a navy without gunships, is, is basically how it is. Mm. And it, it's interesting, I didn't know about L. Ron Hubbard's, like, 
brief naval career, but it's it's very clear just from looking into the Sea Org a little bit that the man just loved boats and and wanted to be his own literal at his own little admiral and so he he created his own navy um david miscavige soared through the ranks and became the right hand of l ron hubbard in 1979 Mm -hmm. he then created the religious technology center which is a corporate thing and trademarked most of the scientology terms and manuals to make it a primary source of income. You, you were talking about Elrond and his, you know, his disputes in the fifties. And it's, it's interesting how these things overlap. You know, Elrond had this problem. He had to create a religion to keep the trademark as it were. And I'm assuming around the time that those, trademarks or or whatever legal procedures ran out that's when miscavige miscavige came in and patented everything else yeah i mean it basically like so hubbard's timeline was i've got dianetics which is self-help stuff it's it's basically four hour work week or the secret or seven habits of highly effective people or any of that bullshit that they have sell seminars for and have books for and all that stuff. When he was losing the copyright, he comes up with Scientology, which again, he breach, he, he says is a branch of science. It's basically like, I want this to be like psychotherapy or some other mental science or neuroscience, or I want this to be a branch of science and it only kind of, and he kind of floats the religion idea just as a hey do you think we could do this do, do you think like yeah no we're making this a science because that's the logical next step after self help uh, but do you think we could make this a religion you think that's doable uh, it's doable yeah okay let, let's do it let's do it let's make it happen let's make it happen and then it just like gradually went up from there into the religion angle sure I. Uh... This this is a guess on my own part, but I think Miscavige saw all this shit happening around him, saw the the lavish and lucrative life that L. Ron Hubbard was living, out of pure random chance, because this is all bullshit anyway, found himself in a position of relative power and realized, oh, I can just milk this like a tenfold. If Elrond is sitting with a pail and milking it with his hands, I can hook this bitch up to a like industrial milking machine. And he did. After Elrond Hubbard's death in 1986, Miscavige becomes the head of the church. Uh, there's also a, a somewhat unintentionally hilarious clip on YouTube of him announcing to an, audit, an auditorium full of people how Elrond has achieved the highest level of Thetans and is going on his next adventure to to distant galaxies and to save us from Xenu far away. It's it's so dumb. Um, but the first thing Miscavige does after he becomes the head of the church is get into a two-year-long legal battle with the IRS, which eventually led to the church being recognized as a religious nonprofit organization and acquiring all of the benefits and legal loopholes thereof. Ooh, look, Homer, the IRS. And, you know, I talked about the whole, I talked about this compound. And even as I was reading it myself, I'm like, 
why hasn't the friggin' FBI like come to do this? There have been several testimonies. There, there have been lawsuits. There have been Supreme Court hearings, and every time a defector comes and talks about these atrocities that are being committed to people, and this, this, this professional cult that is operating in the hills of California. Every time it gets squashed through a sea of red tape and a bastardization of the First Amendment, in my humble opinion. Yeah, well, it's the FBI, you know. They were they were busy dealing with MLK and the Black Panthers. Yeah, you know, the real the uh, real threats. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, okay. No, all right. In fairness, um, you know, the FBI had a file on L. Ron Hubbard and on his operations. To hear L. Ron Hubbard talk about it, he would have been like, the FBI is after us, and, and they're trying to take us down, and they're trying to assassinate me. Really, he was like, uh, okay, uh, 37th order of business, there's some douchebag uh, on boats, and he's trying to start like a weird religion thing. He's got followers, it's kind of culty, but it's, the reach is small, he's making a lot of money. Uh, let's keep an eye on it, maybe? I guess. Um, oh, he's trying to infiltrate our organization. That's a thing L. Ron Hubbard tried to do. He tried to have uh, Scientology people infiltrate the FBI. And uh, spoiler alert, it didn't work so well. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, basically, he was just kind of considered this kooky, low-level priority. I mean, they, they definitely conducted a couple of raids uh, just to kind of see what they could do with him when it was starting to get a little up there. But no lie, that tax-exempt status thing, that's some shit. And they've got money. They've got resources. They've got some famous people behind them. And that kind of shit does make the difference. Absolutely. You know? um, so. so aside from literally having a compound and having his own private prison that he can send anybody to for any reason for as long as he wants. Uh, the real terrifying thing about Miscavige is as of like starting back in 2002, he's become pretty infamous by Scientology's critics and defectors for numerous instances where he has assaulted underlings who fail him. Like, this is some comic book level Red Skull bullshit. I can't remember the specific details, but in the Leah Remini documentary, a a defector who was like one of the high up marketing people or, or media people for Scientology talks about how a specific commercial campaign like was not successful. And Miscavige jumps over a boardroom and just starts punching the guy in the face as hard as he can before then throwing him into the hole for something like six months. These are the actions of someone who is psychotic, someone who is dangerous, and someone who has legions of devoted followers giving him all of their damn money. And and that's where I wrap up on my notes and, and you know, I welcome you to spend a little more time discussing with me like like i even even as i was doing it i forgot about the shit about his wife like like this man has hidden away his wife throws political enemies into his own private prison is prone to assaulting people on a whim and was also the best man at tom cruise and katie helms wedding so read into that what you will 
No, and I mean, I don't think we can talk about Scientology without talking about celebrities. Yes. Um, and, it's, and it's well known that the Church of Scientology has a bit of a tiered system when it comes to its celebrities. Um, when there are celebrities involved, they very much do treat them differently. I don't know if you know this, but Tom Cruise's home is more or less maintained by a cadre of Scientology indentured servants. Um, basically slaves. I think they're technically paid a little bit, um, but basically they're like Sea Org washouts who essentially just maintain his compound and do shit for him and he and he gets to skip all of those steps because he's tom cruise because he's talking the place up because he's famous and he's a face for it same thing same fucking thing with john travolta same thing with beck uh same thing with nancy cartwright uh the voice of bart simpson and ralph wiggum and fucking mindy from animaniacs like (laughs) i'm in danger there's a cult of personality aspect and you know, whoever it was in the church, if it was Elron, if it was David Miscavige, if it was somebody else very accurately realized, Hey, celebrities are people that people like. If we get a bunch of celebrities to do our thing, then a, they'll, then their fans will go, they're people too, and come join our thing as well. And, you know, there's a reason I clarified, like, one of the church's biggest centers is in West Hollywood. It's basically yeah. like this giant fuck hotel that they send prospective Scientologists to and, you know, give them an all-resort-paid weekend doing whatever the hell they want and convincing them to join the religion. Yeah. And I mean... And here's the problem. It kind of works. Yeah. Because, like, we can sit here and make our jokes about Tom Cruise and John Travolta. Because, you know, honestly, here's the thing, though. How much did you love that last Mission Impossible movie? Really, really did. I won't shut up about how it's better than the last Bond movie. (laughs) Sure. I love Beck. Like, there are Beck albums that I, like, point to as definitive in my life. I love Beck. And I got a cotton to that shit, because I love Beck. And Beck doesn't talk about Scientology in his work generally, like, but it's there, and he supports it, and he's right there with them. And it normalizes, because these are people that we're fans of, you know? I fucking love risky business as much as the next guy. Like, I still point to Broken Arrow as one of the, like, most underappreciated action movies of the 90s. So it's kind of, I mean, it's smart marketing on their part. Because we can at the very least take this stuff and crack wise about it, you know? But the fact of the matter is, you know, they're, they're imprisoning people. They have basically slave labor. Are you aware of the forced abortions? I am not. Oh, so uh, I don't know how many pro-life listeners we have. Hey, Mom. Love you. Uh, I don't know how many pro-life listeners we have, but the little little known fact about Scientology. Uh, So the Sea Orc, which, you know, is kind of a ship. 
that's running around with, on, on the seas with various Scientology members. They have a policy, an active policy, that no one can give birth while in service to Sea Org. But, you know, you can fuck. There are married couples at Sea Org. So if they discover that you're pregnant, they do, in fact, force abortion. Okay, no, I should say, they allegedly, jerk off motion, <laughs> force abortions. Right. They force their members on Sea Org to have abortions so that they don't have babies whilst in service to Sea Org. And accounts have ranged as to how many, but there are multiple people who have gotten out of Sea Org and talked about this, you know? And it goes from, it goes from, you know, slight pressure to outright forcing. If, like, and, and this is something that I feel can unite pro-choice and pro-life people. Because pro-choice people are not pro-abortion people. They're pro-you having the ability to make that choice. There are people who wanted to have these babies who were forced to have abortions. So pro-life people who are anti-abortion and pro-choice people who want people to have the ability to make the decision about whether or not they'll have children should be able to unite in hating Scientology for fucking forced abortions at sea. I think you're absolutely right. And, yeah. And, and and that's and that's not even well known. You didn't know about that. And you and I just spent two days researching Scientology. Yeah. I mean, I... I, I want to... It's a carpet bomb of shit. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, I want to get into some closing thoughts. The, the worst thing about it for me is... You know, I am a religious person. I have my faith. And this spits in the face of a lot of the concepts that I believe in. Because part of the reason Scientology works is it takes the hopeless, it takes the outcast, it takes the downtrodden, it takes the easily malleable and convinces them of a purpose of a better way you know scientology is the only religion i know about where the whole point is you don't get to know anything until you're a member it's all secret you only get the path to salvation after you've made your first couple of installments and people eat it up because they want something to be a part of they want something to believe in You know, we spent much of this triple hate educating and talking about the things that we know more than I think we talked about why they are bad. Mm. I, I should hope it's obvious why most of them are bad. But, you know, the, the, the thing I want to leave people with, if, if any of this is new to you, if any of this has been intriguing to you, I, I certainly hope it has. If you have access to it, Find Leah Remedy's documentary. Listen to the Behind the Bastards podcast. I, I'm going to now. It sounds pretty awesome. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, do your own research. It, because if I'm going to leave you with anything, it's this is a 
carpet bombing of shit. This is a giant bad thing that everybody needs to know as much about how bad it is as they can. Fuck them. I think that's solid. No, that's, I think that's solid. I think going off of that, I feel like I'm back in my creative writing workshops. Like, I want to piggyback <laughs> off of that comment. Oh, God, don't go into debt for an arts degree, guys. Um, <laughs> the thing I want to say there is, so, okay, you open that by talking about you being a religious person. Uh, I have made it very plain on this podcast more than once. I'm not. Um, it's an important part of who I am. Not all of who I am. Uh, if you have questions about that, go back and listen to me talking about how much I hate new atheism. Uh, but my irreligiosity is very important to me. I try, though, to have respect for differing faiths. I try to understand them. I try to comprehend them. I try and find common ground more than I try and find divisive ground. You pitched this to me. Scientology. You pitched this. I did. As a triple hate idea. I did indeed. Uh, and, I was, and I was completely down for it. And I think I mentioned this. Uh, I can't remember if it was last episode or the episode before. But I made a comment where I said there's often in these kinds of debates. I think it was in the conversation with Ben or regarding Ben and his question, where I said there's a false belief that it's either all okay or none of it's okay. And I said that in the context of, you know, problematic favorites uh, in art. But it's a troubled belief when it comes to religions, too. You know, I... And, and it's scary to open that up because there are a lot of people who will take that notion and they'll run with it in dark places. If I say that to people, if I say that to the wrong person, you know, that opens up Islamophobia. That opens up people being really shitty to perfectly nice Mormons who haven't done anything or perfectly nice Jehovah's Witnesses who haven't done anything. Or Zoroastrians and Jainists and religions that people don't know a whole lot about. There's a lot of bigotry out there. So, and, and I try and be mindful of that when I say this kind of stuff. But if we're gonna, we should leave room for nuance and we should leave room for discussion. And if I can draw, if I can start drawing a line anyplace, I think drawing a line on Scientology is, shouldn't be controversial. Because we know the history. We know what's in front of us. We see what they're doing. You know, they... I have been very critical of the Catholic Church, especially in the last year, because I feel like some people are finally taking a lot of the larger problems of the Catholic Church, the religion that I was raised in, much more seriously. The Catholic Church has also been around for the better part of, well, two millennia. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, by the way, the human race is two million years old, the Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. Putting it out there. Uh, again, I'm being a dick. I'm sorry. My point here is we have recordings of Lafayette Ronald Hubbard trying to explain Scientology and doing a shit job of it. We have access to the documents that were instrumental in the founding of this religion 
And they are so easily disproven. And they are so easily seen as bullshit. And we see the abuses that they're handling, handing out right and left right now. And it's hard to deal with that in a country where freedom of religion is a tantamount right. And I'm not saying that freedom of religion shouldn't be a tantamount right. I think that's important. I really do. But we need to be intelligent about this stuff. And we need to be able to call a con a con. And there are a lot of, you know, shit faith arguments where people will say, okay, well, they claim that such and such heals diseases and there are perfectly well-aged equally bullshitty but protected religions where they claim the same thing with laying hands there are religions that are only a little bit older see mormonism that we consider valid and you know how do you make those distinctions and i make those distinctions because those faiths are not doing what this one is doing they're not obvious cons in the same way they are not actively hurting people in the same way they're not actively profiting off of pain and misery and labor and dehumanization and fucking clear and present evil as this religion which is so clearly created by humans with no respect to anything supernatural and we're not going to change this you and i on this podcast we're not going to change shit no, of course not we're not we're not. We're gonna. We're gonna reach our, you know, hopefully three digits worth of pe- listeners, and I say that with a hopefully. Um, <laughs> we're gonna reach them. Some of them already agreed with. Most of them probably already agree with us. Fuck. And but maybe we gave them a little bit of something to take with them into their, you know, real life. Something they can share with someone else if just one of you tells the story of l ron hubbard fucking bombing the shit out of an iron ore deposit and claiming it was two japanese subs until his death as a way to plant just a seed of doubt in somebody who might have otherwise respected this ridiculous con of a religion i'll be happy yeah andy will you be happy i'd be very happy if if like if we convince one person to do some more research and they find out something that we didn't even talk about that is anywhere between silly to abhorrent, I will be very happy. Yeah. So I've enjoyed this conversation. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation. I hope that we've done a little bit of good in the world by putting this information out there. I should mention Andy, it's our one-year anniversary. If I did my math correctly, this episode should drop, I believe, June 18th. And our first episode dropped June 16th. So it's been a one year of love-hate relationship. And I'm proud of what we've done in the last year. And I'm proud of this episode because I feel like in all this time, we haven't compromised our ethics. We haven't compromised nuance. And I've enjoyed myself and I feel like we've done a little bit of good. So for me, this is a delightful capstone to the first year of this project. And 
I'm just going to close out by saying Scientology isn't going to sue us because we don't matter that much. We're not going to change all that much. In the end, this entire world will burn in a cinder long after the human race is gone and every remnant of who we are has been extinguished. <laughs> but this I'm fucking proud of. So that's my note. Shit, man. Way to way to pull it out of the fire emotionally and and happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nihilist. I'm a little bit of a pessimist. I'm a lot of bit of a pessimist, but damn it, I'm trying, dude. So I, I couldn't I appreciate I it. couldn't say it better myself. I'm I'm very happy with our project and what we've done. I uh I have tangible evidence that this has made other people, if nothing else, maybe smile, maybe think about some things. And what more can you do in the world? So I'm with you, buddy. Um, so that has been this edition of love hate relationship. Our, uh, our one year anniversary spectacular of verbal hatred and bile. <laughs> Normally we take a relationship question, uh, but we don't for the triples. So if, uh, you want to get in on year two and, uh, you know, still strike well, the iron is hot and new. You can send those relationship questions to love hate relationship podcast at gmail.com where we promise we'll read them. The iron is lukewarm at best. Uh, you, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or even tune in radio. Hey, mom, I know you've been listening. You're our biggest fan, and I'm pretty sure you've heard every single episode we've done. So thank you. Uh, we would also love it uh, if any of you have listened to any episode of ours in the last year um, and you haven't reviewed us uh, on any platform, and we'll happily take a review on whatever your platform of choice is, um, please review us. Please give us a rating. Um, it really does help the show. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at our numbers. We've been steady and growing a little bit on some of our earlier episodes, and I can't say how happy i am about that but please keep up the support uh you can also tweet us at lhr pod that's l-h-r-p-o-d with your questions and you can follow us to keep up with new episodes or see us tweet uh fan submitted photos of nikita khrushchev <laughs> uh on top of a hockey player which is now our banner uh oh yeah enough. it is <laughs> yeah Oh man. Uh and yeah, by the way, I'm I'm looking at our iTunes page right now and there aren't between twenty seven and, and thirty six ratings on there. So some of you some some of the hardcore listeners got some splaining to do. <laughs> uh but I digress. Um you can follow me, Andy Bowell, on Twitter at Jovocop two one one three. And I'm at A underscore X underscore R-U-I-Z on both Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening, y'all. You've been with us a year. You've been with us through an hour and a half talking about Scientology. We cannot tell you how much we love and appreciate you, as always, and continually for as long as we can manage it. Tell your enemies. <laughs> <laughs>